G'day everyone, welcome to Lubrication Explained. Today I've got a really good discussion with Sanya Mathura of Strategic Reliability Solutions. She's an expert in lubricant degradation mechanisms. And I think that's a foundational concept that it's really important to understand for a couple of reasons. One, if you want to extend your oil life, you need a really good foundation in how that lubricant is failing, right? Uh, so that's one reason. The second reason is because lubricant degradation mechanisms also point towards a lot of equipment failure. So as we're doing things like RCFA, that's root cause failure analysis, we really need to have an understanding of the role that the lubricant plays in that equipment failure. Sanya, thank you uh, so much uh, for coming to talk to us today. Um, I'm really excited about this one. Sanya is um, a bit of a thought leader within our industry, has done some really amazing work, and specifically what we're going to talk about today is the subject of her new book, um, which is Lubrication uh, Degradation Mechanisms, The Complete mm -hmm. Guide. So... Um, Oh, there it is. Okay, excellent. So um, I'll actually put I'll put a link into it or something below so that people can find it as well. Um, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this because obviously lubrication de degradation mechanisms are something that we've covered uh, on this YouTube channel, but in bits and pieces. So it's by no means a complete guide. Um, so it's good to have the expert here. Um, and uh, Sonia, do you want to maybe give us just a, a little bit of background? Um, on yourself and and why did you write this book oh boy you know that's that's a question that i keep getting asked why but um the one of the main things is that i did my thesis for my msc in engineering asset management so while i was doing that i was still working with shell and i'm like what am i going to write my thesis on of course it's going to be on oil like why not it has to be that's what i'm doing right and i started working on it and it was about investigating like the degradation mechanisms in an ammonia plant and looking back on it now i'm like who chooses that topic for a thesis like why right <laughs> and what i realized when i was trying to get information for it is that a lot of the information wasn't readily available like you had to know somebody who knew somebody who had something yep. and then you always have you always have those confidentiality things coming into play can they share it can they not share it so what i realized from that like after finishing the thesis and working with some of the 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 real experts in the industry you know they were able to share this stuff and i'm like this is such good information and i left end up leaving the corporate world in 2017 and after a little bit of finishing out my thesis then i started my um i started my business strategic reliability solutions limited where you know it's a culmination of different types of reliability services so what i wanted to do is sort of have one place where people could come to and find different types of training in reliability because like we all know Reliability is related to every single thing that we do, which is why I love it so much. And uh, after getting into the business, you know, I didn't think about, I never thought about writing a book, like honestly never thought about yeah. it. But you know, Bob, you know, he's like, 
you're gonna write a book you know and i'm like no bob not gonna happen not gonna happen today not gonna happen this year and when the pandemic struck uh i was rolling out a lot of stuff throughout the caribbean constant travel and then everything just went dead mm. you know it was just this very very still time and i'm like well now's a good time to write a book nobody's you know bothering me for meetings we're not having phone calls you know random things i had a lot of i want to say free time but it wasn't so free because i started working on the book and i just started to put all the information together and again reaching out to the experts in the industry to make sure that you know they validate and verify what i'm saying to you know have this sort of guide where people people could go to and find all the different types of degradation mechanisms and when i put it together i was thinking well i hope at least one person buys it because you know at least one person might be interested in this and it's just it's it's been very strange that since um like when it got released i had people saying oh my gosh this sounds interesting i want to i want to get the book you know and we had one of one of the guys in the uk wayne wayne hablal he's like he he emailed me immediately and he's like i i want 15 copies send them to the uk i i need this for every single one of my customers they need this value in their life and i'm like okay wayne are you sure yeah. you know <laughs> yeah it's so interesting and, so i guess uh maybe maybe for our audience um sanya is mm-hmm. effectively me but like three years into the future uh the female version and female right <laughs> obviously um but uh uh in in the sense that a lot of what sanya does is um you know as a as an independent lubrication consultant in, in based out of trinidad but mm-hmm. that's effectively what i'm trying to set up in australia and um it's really interesting to, to see uh sanya's success in in doing that but also the way that you have kind of shared your knowledge with a with a wider audience which is effectively what i'm trying to do with this youtube channel so mm-hmm. um yeah very very similar points of view and that's why um you know for last few months i've been trying to get sanya to, to come on oh yeah we just I've, needed been, to I've been trying an appropriate time right it's very very busy um so maybe let's let's get into the actual um degradation mechanisms themselves right because oh, yes. um, i think in the book you sort of identify six major ones yes um so let's maybe just briefly go through what the six are and then and then we can uh, start yeah. to talk them, you know, about them a little bit more in detail about you know what are the ones which are uh, maybe most plaguing the industry and some of the yes. solutions that are out there as well. Oh yeah, because you know we could probably sit here and talk about it for the entire day, but yeah, let's exactly. not let's not get the audience like that, right? So basically, there are six different mechanisms, and the thing about it is that I say that there are six, and there are some people who classify them different because of the environment or the operating conditions. But your six major ones by oxidation. We always start with oxidation. Everybody thinks that oxidation is the only mechanism. Like, so we're here to tell you it's not. It has friends, you know, different friends. Oxidation, thermal degradation. Then you have electrostatic spark discharge, micro dieseling, additive depletion, and contamination. Yep. And there are a lot of people who think, you know, 
contamination can't be a degradation mechanism, you know? Why should it be even in that sphere? But when you think about it a little bit more, if you don't classify it as a mechanism and you're trying to figure out, you know, the root cause of why this is happening to your turbine or your piece of equipment, and you don't consider contamination, then you can probably go down the wrong path. Because contamination can lead to oxidation, it could lead to microdieseling. And if you just stop at, okay, we're having microdieseling, that's at the end, and you haven't considered contamination, you're going to always get that issue, you're always going to get that problem. So that's why it's very important to have it as a separate um, mechanism. Okay, so that sort of but, gets into the reasons why you might have written the book, mm, right? So um, yes. maybe if we can explain, <laughs> the book is kind of written to be uh, a helpful resource when you're trying to do uh, an RCFA, right? A, a root cause failure analysis investigation. It could be, yes. Um, and so if you don't mm -hmm. include contamination, then maybe you don't look for that as, as a root cause. No, no, you don't. And one of the good things that, one of the reasons that I wrote the book and it's written in such a way that we start off with basics of lubrication because I'm always like, get the basics right mm -hmm. first. If you don't, you know, things go haywire. So once we get the basics first, then we, we identify each of the different mechanisms. And each of the mechanisms, they have, they produce different types of deposits. Mm -hmm. So that's the important part of it because uh, the deposits you'll get from thermal degradation uh, with thermal degradation, you have the lubricants, you know, being degraded, lots of heat, anything over 200 degrees Celsius, and it eventually goes down to coke and soot and tars. But if you're thinking about microdieseling, and some people think that microdieseling should just be under thermal degradation, it is a form of it. But when you really think about microdieseling, what happens in that is that you have entrained air. So you have air being trapped inside of the oil and then it moves from a low pressure to a high pressure zone and with that movement you actually have that increase in temperature to over a thousand degrees celsius like i know raf and i can't stand 37 degrees celsius it's just too much for us you know we all have that on our regular day but a thousand degrees celsius and then you start seeing the bubble carbonize and you start getting like suits and what you'd notice on the inside is that you may start seeing cavitation marks because of those air bubbles exploding. And very interestingly, interestingly for me, right? Interestingly enough, um, depending on the type of explosion of your bubble, you would have different types of degradation um, deposits being formed. So if it's um, like a high flashpoint, you can think about that like a bomb exploding. So you get incomplete combustion products. However, if you have a low flashpoint, then you get more, you get more of the coke and the soot and the tars because it's like complete combustion. So there are so many different things that you mm. can determine and that helps you to understand what's going on in equipment. Because yeah. if you're just looking at your deposits and you're like, okay, well, I think it's oxidation. So you know what? I just have some free radicals forming somewhere and I need to sort that out or, you know, throw some antioxidants in there and hope, hope for the best. Yeah. But, you know, being able to identify exactly which mechanism it is 
can help you to determine what your root cause is and eventually lead you to no more problems, which is where we all want to get at some point. <laughs> yeah. So maybe if we just quickly uh, dwell on uh, microdieseling for a little bit. So um, people who've been watching mm -hmm. this channel, um, I did an explanation of microdieseling. Now, it was a pretty short, not in-depth one, but it was uh, that probably was about a month ago. So if you haven't seen it, um, what are you doing? Just Look, go back and watch it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but for for those who are familiar with it, um, I guess most of the most of the time people would associate microdieseling probably with hydraulic systems, right? So mm -hmm. often when the entrained air is going, when you said from from a low pressure to a high pressure point, is generally at the hydraulic pump, mm -hmm. right? So you've got an mm -hmm. excess of of entrained air, and as it goes through the pump, it's obviously going from low to high pressure, and with that. It's, I mean, it happens so fast, it's basically adiabatic compression, right? You get a, mm -hmm. a, a huge increase in the temperature in that, in that air pocket, which is going to result in the types of uh, uh, phenomenon that you were talking about there, where it's, it's either complete or incomplete combustion, depending on the physical properties of the oil. So most people are associating it with uh, hydraulic packs, oh, but... Okay. Where else have you seen microdieseling pop up in, in, in your line of work? Microdieseling pops up all over, you know. It's just that a lot of people don't recognize it. And they're yes. like, the thing about it is that sometimes it happens in a lot of the smaller sumps. So the smaller the sump, they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to change the oil. The end, no biggie. You know, it doesn't cost as much. That's it. But... I've seen it in some compressors, in some turbines, and we don't want to have that. We don't want to have any of that in any of those larger pieces of equipment because guess what happens? We have a shutdown, and then you have to call Raf and I in, and, you know, you may call us at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know? that It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you need to get that sorted out. Yeah, and I think that that's an interesting one which also um, highlights the need for you including contamination as as yes. one of your mechanisms right because i mean without without excessive air entrainment uh -huh. microdieseling doesn't happen and air entrainment mm. realistically is a form of contamination it is. it's just that your contamination is. product is air it's not like a physical particle <laughs> yeah. or something like that right <laughs> so so again that that sort of highlights that importance of in your rcfa okay you know the mm -hmm. fact that you identified microdieseling is actually not the end point no, uh, it's the beginning. You have to show where the air is That's coming from. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so very, very um, key points to, to bring up. Uh, when I wrote the first book, I did, um, I talked about the different mechanisms. I talked about the test. I talked about, you know, different physical ways you can, you know, try and not have these happening in your system. And I thought, you know, okay, that's it, the end, you know, that's the book we're gonna leave it right there and then i thought oh my gosh we just addressed only the physical issues of any of these degradation things we never got into the actual root causes going down to the human roots going down to the systemic roots you know and that is where a lot of the issues occur and like in microdieseling you know if we're thinking about air getting into the system what about if we had a technician that didn't align a part properly so and he didn't have the training so let's go down to that root cause 
if we don't get him that training, none of the parts that he's going to align is ever going to be properly done. So you're always going to have micro link, even though you change like the seals or whatever part, physical part you thought was affected or caused the air to be entrained. So that's in my second book. In my second book, we talk about getting into the root causes of you know, lubrication degradation. And I've done um, stuff with each of the different six mechanisms and the like stuff associated with each of them. So I built out an RCA tree for all of them. So Bob cool. helped me to get yeah. that out of my head and in there. <laughs> yeah. Now, usually, the, you know, the, the sequel is usually not as good as the original. But in this case, in this case, the sequel is, is better. You know, we're, we're talking in general about the, the sort of the human, human factors, mm -hmm. if you like. Um, and I think one, one thing that jumps out at me there is uh, the need for kind of understanding uh, tr and training. Um, and just one thing that... I guess is I, I've seen in my experience at least is that often the people that are in contact with the lubricants on the most frequent basis are the people who receive the the least training of anyone on site. Yes. You know, I, oh I, I don't know why it is, but for some reason the lube tech um, <laughs> who literally, you know, physically touches the equipment every day when he I'm does his lube it's... rounds. Whatever, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that guy is always ignored, right? And, and undervalued and, and never receives any kind of instruction or formal training or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just a beef that I have I, with the industry is like, why isn't that guy basically the most important person on site? Um, he is, he yeah. is definitely. And it's, it's a struggle that we see throughout the, like throughout the world. Cause I see that on my side a lot as well. And I'm like, these are the guys and the girls, you know, taking care of the equipment. They are the ones who I want to say, give them that jump start and make sure that it actually works when it's supposed to. Yep. And be just like you said, they are, they are our frontline workers, mm. right? So they should be trained. They should be, you know, knowledgeable about what happens. What does, and I'm, it sounds weird, but what does the sound mean? You know, if yeah. I see something happening like this, you know, because they, they are the ones that they're by the equipment every day. They see it and they would notice the changes. Yep. Whereas other other people on the side may be like, mm, that sounds a bit weird. Carrying on with my new regular scheduled program, mm -hmm. you know. But we need to get them trained. And getting them trained is actually helping the efficiency of your, of your entire plant. Yeah, because at they, the moment... They control it. Yeah, at the moment, it feels like they're relying a lot on uh, intuition, right? Because often, mm -hmm. because the lube tech is in contact with a lot of this equipment on such a regular basis, they just know when something is different. Yeah. They may not necessarily know what's mm -hmm. wrong, but they know that something has changed, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's both in the equipment and in the in the lubricant too, right? Like sometimes, like you said, on, on sound, sense. so cavitation or mm -hmm. microdieseling usually mm -hmm. sounds like, there's marbles in the machine. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's, that's how usually one of the, the leading indicators, but also, um, you know, with the lubricant, if they, if they're pulling a lube sample, they often can tell by smell, right? That, yes, that the, sometimes it smells different to usual, yeah. um, mm -hmm. or, or sight, you know, cause the color has changed or, or something like that. So yeah, in the first, 
video in this in this series when we were talking uh -huh. to uh, Rich Wurzbach, he was actually talking about um, trying to translate the insights from a loop tech into something meaningful, right? Because he would say the mm -hmm. loop tech recognized that there's a change in the color of the grease. He said, and he, yeah. you know, he doesn't know what that means necessarily or oh, how the grease is degraded, mm -hmm. but we should be using that information. Um, and so he kind of helped come up with some of the testing around um, oh. grease colorimetry to, mm, to identify mm -hmm. yes. grease degradation mechanisms. Um, oh my gosh, yes. You know, based on, <laughs> based on color. So yeah, the, mm -hmm. these, these texts seem to be this uh, un untapped resource, really. Yes, um, they so are. education, as an example, in the form of your book, um, mm -hmm. it could be really helpful in helping them because, again, they'll see the deposits, you know, before anyone else does. And if they yes, can they do. understand what that means and, and help categorize them, then uh, I think that'd be uh, really helpful for, for teams. But just... Um, Maybe to uh, talk about one of the other degradation mechanisms. I know you said uh -huh. everyone always points to <laughs> oxidation as being they always do, the cause always of everything. Do. But let's talk about oxidation, mm -hmm. right? Because um, mm -hmm. maybe I think the one thing I, I'd like to understand from you a little bit better is um, oxidation is like the main culprit, if you like, that everyone blames. But mm -hmm. how is it different from the other degradation mechanisms that you identified so one of the main the first things would be that oxidation could occur at any point in time yeah. you know a lot of people they define oxidation as you have addition of oxygen to your lubricants but like definition of oxidation has changed a bit so i've seen the most recent definition as it's where a molecule loses an electron and becomes this free radical you know, and you know, of course, radicals loves friends. They love, you know, love to have friends, love to have parties. So they always go around and they, they develop more free radicals. And then you have antioxidants sort of battling the free radicals to neutralize it until all of the antioxidants are done. They're, they're completed, they're depleted. And then you have all of your deposits and whatnot being formed. So the thing about oxidation and why it gets such a, you know, I want to say such a preference is because a lot of people know oxidation for producing these deposits with just by seeing increases in temperature, you know, random little things, and they'll see the varnish forming. But what happens a lot of times is that people, they're not familiar with the different types of mechanisms. So if they see like a very dark deposit, like being coke or soot, they would still think it's oxidation because they've been trained to think that the only type of me degradation mechanism is oxidation. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you get coke or soot or tar, it could be because you have microdesing, or if you get, you know, coke, you could be because you have thermal degradation. That's where you have, you know, the oil being heated until you have no more air, you have dehydrogenation. So you start seeing those black deposits you see similar black deposits for microdesing in addition to cavitation, um, electrostatic spark discharge, you know, that's the electrifying one. Uh, that's the one that everybody, you know, it happens so often, especially with hydraulics, because what you need to have is the buildup of static 
within your equipment and you have tight clearances. So that happens a lot with hydraulic equipment. And with ESD, what happens is that you actually see some of those sparks happening at the filter. So that's where a lot of the, that telltale sign for ESD, you see a filter membrane with all the dark spots on it, all the burnt membrane, you definitely have ESD happening in there. If you Maybe, have ESD, just to quickly yeah. pick up on ESD, because um, uh-huh. some some people in the audience, I think, are never going to have heard of it. And for that's some fine. people, that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, and and for some people, it's like the bane of their existence. They know mm-hmm, it exists, yes. but they have no idea how to solve it. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, ESD seems to be a new phenomenon. Not that it's oh, new see. and it has never existed, mm-hmm. but it's something that people have become more aware of, particularly in hydraulics and, and mm-hmm. even more so in turbine oils, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, so maybe if we can explain uh, where mm-hmm. how the buildup of charge occurs in a lube oil system, mm-hmm. and then what are some of the maybe physical and chemical char- characteristics of the oil which can yes. uh, exacerbate that, right? Because uh, one, of, one of the things, a little bit like the varnish problem, is that in mm-hmm. turbine oils, ESD didn't seem to be as much of a problem back when we had group one formulations. And as oh we started- Oh boy, to, we're going back into the formulations. Yeah, yeah. But as we started to move to sort of group two, group three, it, it mm-hmm. became an increasing problem. And now it's something yeah. that I think is pretty familiar to everyone in the turbo machinery world. So, uh-huh. so if we could please maybe start with how, how does charge <laughs> actually build up in, in, a, in a lube oil? So think of it just as um, static, static that builds up when you walk through a carpeted room and you touch like a door handle, like just by you walking and you're moving across the carpet, you build up charge. So the same thing sort of happens with oil. It's flowing through these very tight clearances. So it's going to build up the charge on the inside there. And once it builds up that charge, it needs to, to be grounded. So any, like, any sharp uh, objects within the actual system, like if you have a sharp point in a bearing, the charge could build up on that point and then discharge. And that's where you get the spark actually happening. So you start seeing that a lot. So of course, one of the telltale signs is you see start seeing sparks within your equipment, but it's not all equipment we can see that. So a lot of times people, they say that when they're walking by the turbines, they start hearing a crackling. So when you hear crackling, it, it, sounds like, it sounds like static electricity. It is, it definitely is. So that's one of the things that you should look at, look out for with ESD. And what happens there is that sometimes you get a release of different types of gases. So if you're testing for ESD, you're going to be doing like a FTIR test to figure out what sort of deposits you're having in there. And you're also going to want to do um, a dissolved gas analysis test. Because sometimes a lot of the time, a lot of times you get like ethylene and those sort of gases present when you have ESD happening because of the sparks going off, um, you know, creating that not perfect environment, but creating that environment where you actually get these reactions starting to happen. So some things that you need to look at. And of course, 
your membranes on your filters, those are gonna you're gonna start seeing burns, burn patches, and not the best thing to be seeing in your filters. You know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and and I've seen so many filters that have just been torn to shreds by Dying. by, by ESD. <laughs> um, and you know, you'll occasionally see those those those, those spark markings mm-hmm. that sort of electrical yes. discharge pattern on on things like bearing things as well right but uh maybe if we could briefly touch on prevention too right as in oh yes you know mm-hmm. is there a way uh you know because this the the, <laughs> the charge builds up in the lube oil system purely mm-hmm. because of the motion of the yes. lubricant through the system right so like you mm-hmm. said it's like walking on carpet um, it's yeah. like that building of static electricity. And, and funnily mm-hmm. enough, I mean, this is a problem that the fuel industry has been dealing with for, uh, you know, as, as long as there has been fuel, right? Because you've got to <laughs> ensure the integrity yes, of the fuel system and that they're not going to all of a sudden blow up. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in, in lube oils, it feels like it's a little bit newer to us. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you can't in some ways necessarily prevent the buildup of charge, but how can mm. you... How can you distribute that charge in a way that's not harmful? So there are a lot of things that you can do with ESD. There are lots of anti-static filters. So you can have those and I think they're widely available. So it's just a matter of making sure that you get the right specification, you know, for your piece of equipment. Of course, you know, always related back to your equipment. Don't use what your neighbor is using because just because they feel like using it related back to your equipment. There are anti-static filters. There are also, um, there's some charge um, charge brushes, I think. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's another grounding technique that can be used to like add on to your system to help, you know, bring those charges to ground before they, you know, wreak havoc on your oil. Uh, another thing uh, is actually making sure that your your oil is over 100 pico siemens per meter so that's one of the key things it's something that's a little bit tricky to control so that's why i'm like you know stick to anti-static charge filters the ones that were easy to you know quick quick replace you know it's just a, a plug and play unit basically and it could actually help you with your static that's being built up in your system so Easiest way to go there. <laughs> yeah, and and for anyone who's not familiar, so Pico Siemens is a is a sort of a measure of the conductivity of the oil, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. right? In in roundabout. Yeah, terms. yeah, we, we um, work with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, it's actually what dielectric potential, but but let's let's just say it's yeah, conductivity that's for fine, that's fine. simplicity's sake. Um, and and I think where you're sort of getting to there is uh, it's not easy to remedy that because mm-hmm. the, the conductivity of the lubricant is, is basically determined by the formulation. Yes, uh, and I think, is. unfortunately, everyone's looking for a quick fix. That is yeah. to say, hey, give me a chemical that I can just pour into my turbine oil uh, that will it never increase that. that number, right? <laughs> like all I want is I want a number that's over 100. Give me something that, that puts it over 100. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, as we know, um, pour in top treat solutions, you've got to be very careful uh, yes. because the interactions with 
other chemistries mm -hmm. in the lubricant uh, are something that you really need to look out for. Uh, it's not it's not as simple as buying no, something it's off not the shelf and, making and pouring it in. Mm -mm. <laughs> and, and I guess that maybe uh, by way of explanation, the reason why um, you know conductivities have have lowered is it, it is part of that move in the formulations from from a yes. group one to a three. Um, there's less mm -hmm. polarity in the systems, and 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 that's helping contribute to to that that number going down. So um, anyway, but I th thanks for explaining ESD in in a lot of detail because. Uh, I think that's one which is uh, is pretty interesting for the for the audience. Um, now, maybe a, a question to ask you. Um, sorry, you're right. Oh, hang on, your voice is yeah. Not oh, here we go. There we oh, go. You're, you're yes, you were kind of sticking forward there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you've gone. Um, you just went fuzzy. Hang on a sec. Let me see. Oh no, it's going good again. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll we'll, uh, we'll keep going. So I was going to basically go on to the um, question four at this point. Um, That's me. <laughs> uh, all right. So with your experience uh, in mm -hmm. the industry, you obviously get to see a lot of this stuff as, as an independent. I think one of the advantages is you get to sort of jump around to a bunch of different yes. sites and, and see, yes. you know, what people are experiencing. Um, mm -hmm. what do you see as being some of the uh, biggest challenges? So, so maybe as a start out of the six mm -hmm. degradation mechanisms that you identified, which one is the one that you see most often? Uh, contamination okay. actually. Yeah, contamination, but a lot of people don't, they don't um, class it as that. They're like, no, I have um, oxidation. I'm like, no, you have contamination. Something is getting in there and that's what's contaminating your oil. That's how you're getting those degradation mechanisms. So the most common is actually contamination. And a lot of people say, no, mm -mm, that, but when you think about it, contamination all the way <laughs> yeah and this and and that's one of the things i guess in this industry is that there's just so many contamination points that, that yes. and people maybe don't realize it because they can't see it either right like a lot of contamination yep. mm -hmm. occurs in uh particle sizes that aren't visible to the eye um yeah. maybe it's air contamination which you obviously can't <laughs> yes. see oh my gosh so so yeah i mean a a, a huge huge problem and and uh, i think everyone in the in the industry is trying to highlight the size mm -hmm. of the problem, but um, it maybe doesn't yeah. get the, uh, the the love <laughs> and care that uh, yes. some of the other things That it's so richly deserves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, maybe to, to broaden out from that, um, you know, because you met, you did mention that the second book encompasses things like human factors and, and, oh, yeah. and really um, going sort of from, Deeper. let's say the physical mm -hmm. root causes back to yeah. things like process and and yeah. people so mm -hmm. if if i were to take that the totality <laughs> what do you see as some of the bigger challenges uh in an, in our industry i think like for me one of the biggest challenges that i see all of the time is that we have so many people leaving the industry whether they're leaving for retirement mm -hmm. or they're leaving to get a different type of job and you just have that that brain drain because nobody took the time to 
document or put things in place or say this is what this guy learned over the past you know few years dealing with the equipment and the things that they learn technicians you know people working on the equipment on the ground the things that they learn about that equipment may never be in the OEM manual so the OEM may not even be around the equipment that long to see or to experience those different types of operating states and what happens to the equipment when you know it goes into that state not to mention that the operators you know push the equipment to some different levels because they're trying to achieve production so you know you have some frankenstein equipment as well all over the place but it's just the, the loss of that knowledge that within the industry like a lot of times is lost and we can't get it back you know we can't go and call the guy because you know he's out you know on a boat somewhere you know chilling out in the ocean and he's not taking any calls but i think one of the things that we should try capturing going forward is how did we deal with this problem how did we solve it what are the steps that we took even though we took the wrong steps or the steps that we took they weren't you know very helpful we can have that documented so that the next time it happens somebody doesn't waste their time doing those same steps. So there's no such thing as, I need to have this done perfectly. I need to have the correct steps down there. No, just document the information because having the wrong steps helps people to prevent that loss of time in the future. So think about it from that perspective. And that's, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't think about. They're just like, okay, well, yeah, I need to have that. It needs to be this, that, the next. So I've seen like um, training manuals or, or you know, different work orders. They say, okay, tighten, tighten the pump, align the pump, align it to what specification. So, you know, and for a new technician coming in, a new person, they're like, okay, well, it says to align it. Well, I'm just gonna do what I think is it's supposed to be done. Like you don't have a, a particular amount that it goes to or, you know, the torque value. So things like that help us to, you know, it helps us to improve our procedures. It helps us to capture the information that has been lost. Like you can have even on your procedures, when you hear this, um, this noise like marbles within your system, check for microdesign, you know, that maybe what's going on. So just the notes on different pieces of equipment that's what i would love to see in the future you know if somebody could capture that and each site and each piece of equipment is so different and the technicians working on it they will know so that's one of the biggest challenges that i've seen quite a lot because sometimes we get into these things and they're like yes the guy before me talked about that but i don't have his information yeah, no. So that's one of yeah, the biggest that's things. A, that's, a, that's a hard thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think, like you said, it's so prevalent in the industry. But it's, yeah. it's interesting even thinking about it from a, let's say, a systems perspective. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most, most companies, equipment-wise, don't accept mm -hmm. sort of single-point failures, right? They always yeah. have redundancy and they have backup. Mm -hmm. But they're willing to accept single point failures in their people right in the and the knowledge mm -hmm. like there's often one guy on yes. site who's like the guy he knows everything the guy to go to mm -hmm. and then 
either he gets sick or he leaves or he retires or he goes to another company because they're going to pay him more or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and you, you don't everything. get that knowledge back, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and even within our industry, right? Not, not just industry in general, but, but mm-hmm. the lubricants industry as well. I mean, there is so much knowledge that's um, yes. or actually that has left the industry in the last 12 months uh-huh. because of, you know, COVID resignations and redundancies yeah. and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's hard to it's hard to watch, um, especially when that knowledge transfer hasn't already occurred. So, um, yeah. thanks for highlighting <laughs> that because it, it it's it's a it's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Right, it definitely is. Yeah, hey, uh, I think that's a that's a great place to end. Um, uh, Sanya, thank you so much uh, for coming to chat to us about lubrication degradation mechanisms i'm definitely going to pin you down for a second interview uh yes, in, in future so we can talk in even more detail because i know we, did, we didn't even get halfway through uh yeah covering mm-hmm. lubricant degradation mechanisms in detail so um you know thanks for your insight um really appreciate it and just as a reminder for anyone who's looking for the book i'll uh, put a link down in the description so that yes you can find i i will make sure he puts that link in the description don't worry <laughs> all right thanks Anya. Thank you.